And we just had a question here from uh, Matada um, Gustava, which I wanted to deal with before we meet our, our next guest for this hour. And um, she's saying, um, I've been fasting for uh, 15 hours a day, uh, a month every year for around the last 15 years. Uh, she's 45 years old now. Um, and she wants to know, are there any kind of health impacts of fasting over long periods? Well, first of all, we need to, to look into this. Um, as many cultures uh, mm-hmm. have uh, fasting um, yearly, you know, at least a few times a year you, you do that. Um, so the, the main uh, concerns that I would uh, raise would be towards what do you do during these hours that you're fasting. Mm-hmm. I mean, that you don't put your body to a level of stress, um, being it through, you know, staying too much out in the heat mm-hmm. or doing t- a lot of strenuous physical activity during that period. So I would say that keep, you know, activity levels during this time a little bit more moderate. Mm-hmm. And, you know, afterwards when you're hydrating, when you're getting back that fuel in your system, just start your, your moderate activities uh, to keep fit. So there's ways to manage this. And yeah. let's, let's face it, millions of people around the world have done exactly uh, what uh, Matara has been doing uh, for longer than, uh, than 15 years as Absolutely. well. And so, you know, it's, it, it's completely manageable. It's healthy. You just have to be aware of, of, of what you're eating. And we were saying earlier... Um, the first few days of, of, of Ramadan this year, there were reports that people were, uh, around 100 people have been taken to hospital with conditions like gastroenteritis because they were overloading on food mm-hmm. after fasting when they were going to iftar. Yeah. So we need to av- uh, avoid things like yeah, that. I, I, would, I would look into it as a way to work on your self-control mm-hmm. other than to have any excess after yes. when, you, when you have yeah it's reason. not a chance for excess it's a chance for self-control yeah. absolutely now it's time to say hello to a, a new guest who's joining us uh, between now and midday Martin Molnar is the CEO of Tupelo TupeloLife.com is the website if you want to take a look and um, you guys are a fairly new company been around about three years now here in mm-hmm. the UAE and you work with uh, businesses and you're going into schools as well to see how you can help them with their general health and fitness yeah, thanks, Ray. And, uh, yeah, it's great to be here, so thanks for the opportunity. No problem. So, yeah, from a corporate perspective, um, in terms of what our strategy has been over the last uh, two to three years, we, we set out to really kind of educate um, and, and put together intervention strategies so that we, you know, we don't end up in the scenario where we've got large, large uh, you know, portions of the population which are suffering with, you know, the types of diseases that we've, uh, we've mm. been sort of going through over the last hour. Um, and I, I think going forward, we recognize that, that the best place to do this was, you know, within 7 to 13-year-old mm-hmm. uh, kids. So if we can get into schools and we can start to educate, then, you know, that's a great place to start. So we start with schools. Uh, we also move through to corporates as well. We don't ignore the, uh, the kind of the, what we call the heavy lifting end of the spectrum. We, we, we're very keen to see how we can improve quality of life for individuals. Mm-hmm. But um, fundamentally, this is about intervention and about prevention. So it's 7 to 13-year-olds, mm. that's, that's the kind of age that you want to get in there and you want to get that message. Why is it that age band? Why, why is that sort of the key target range for you? Um, I think, you know, we've consulted a lot of clinicians about this. We've also done a lot with, uh, with insurance providers and, you know, what they're, what they're telling us is that that's the kind of the most malleable age in terms of mindset for mm. children. You know, I think children can be, dare I say, you can be quite directive with kids. They'll do it. They trust you. Mm-hmm. Um, if you say this is a good choice, then they'll particularly, you know, they'll follow it. So from our perspective, you know, we want to we leverage that. 
Uh, but we want to leverage it in a fun way. We don't want to be in a situation where we're, you know, we're pushing kids towards this. We, we have to encourage them. Uh, we have to educate as well. Mm-hmm. So we feel the 7 to 13-year-old is if we, can, if we can catch children at that particular age, then the habits that they can form at that stage will kind of keep them going to you know, late teens and, and hopefully into early adulthood, uh, sorry, early adulthood mm-hmm. as well. So it's, it's important we get that nailed. And I, and I think it's uh, it's a tough journey as well. Mm. So let's not uh, let's not. They might be directive and they might respond well to a lot of the uh, a, a lot of the choices that we put before them. But you know, it's not easy to get into the schools because I understand I'm a parent myself. We just we just don't want anybody, yeah, you know, rocking up to schools and talking about yeah, this is healthy, this isn't healthy. You know, we need to be an organisation that is certified that you know people understand where we've come from and from our origins. But it is. It's we feel. By far, the biggest impact that we can have on society today, and particularly in the UAE, is with 7 to 13-year-olds. Do you agree with that, Gustavo? Is that, is that a key aid to get that uh, health and nutrition fitness message in there? Yeah, I would say that if you have initiatives in which you are reaching that age group, you know, directly in their environment of the school, for mm. example, it really helps, uh, especially, you know, to... If, if we're having these interventions already with the families, when, as we spoke, you know, we, you're talking to the parents, you're getting that information across. If they can have this information coming as well from the school, that really creates a, a very good relationship. Mm. And, and then that's the point where you can really make changes. So definitely say that having that as, at the schools are, are paramount. And you're saying, mm. Martin, that it's not always easy to get into the schools. How does it normally work? Do you guys get a phone call or do you, are you... Call, are you going around there and saying this is we want to get in we want to this is what we can deliver for you guys no i mean i think the the we want to get in there scenario is it creates suspicion more than anything <laughs> else so uh we do get calls and uh we i think the the first call that we received was we were doing some uh, some launch activities in india actually mm. on, a, on a completely separate uh a completely separate topic um, and then we got, a con- we got contacted by uh, some major universities in the United States. Uh, there's, there's very strong links in, in the U.S. educationally between India and the U.S., uh, particularly around technology. So we, we were picked up. And uh, one of the major universities came to us there and said, look, you know, this is great work that you're, you're doing with, um, you know, with the corporate landscape. Mm-hmm. Have you ever thought about doing this in this context of schools? So, I mean, we have, and uh, we just said, yeah, but it's, it's challenging to get into schools because, you know, you're, you're a suspect at first, which, yeah. which I would rather be that than anything else because, mm-hmm. you know, as I said, I'm a parent. Um, but they said, well, here's what we're going to do. As a, as a trusted university, that schools feed us in terms of the, uh, the, the kids kind of graduating and coming to us as a university, what we're very keen to understand is can we have an impact on the health of the children graduating up to us? So that's the, that was the first uh, initiative for us. Mm-hmm. That took a lot of the theory into practice. So that's when we actually took the technology, we took the software, we took the programs that we'd assembled, and we actually had major universities in, in California and also in Indiana taking these tool sets and distributing them, not only the tech, but also the software and the programs. And we actually had teachers engaged, administering the programs as well. Mm. And then we were able to assess the outcomes and the output. Um, so that was the first scenario. So that was a, that was a phone call. That uh, was a ringing. And how many kids were you, young adults were you working with in that case? So, I mean, this has been a journey for us. Mm-hmm. So I think we're still compiling a lot of the results on this. We started that probably October last year. Mm-hmm. 
Um, we've been moving forward and progressing with different research opportunities in different schools. Uh, we've done it, uh, you know, different segments in the United States. We've done quite a bit here in Dubai, which mm. is interesting. Uh, with, there's some stuff been going on in Europe as well and some other geos. Um, all in, I think, uh, pure research um, where we've been working with universities. We've had kids up to actually just... I'd say above a thousand mm-hmm. kids yeah. in these programs. We've so managed that's a to good, study. That's a ah, good it's a size, size of, yeah. it's, um, for data as well. Yeah, for for data, um, you know, a, a thousand plus kids in programs for six to eight weeks, where we're able to get past the euphoria and the hype of kids wanting to be in a program, and then it settles, and then we can then we can then see what that trajectory looks like. Yeah. So, what is it? You know, what is the normal activity for a kid look like? You know, and and, and when is that iPad time? You know, when does that kick when in? Isn't that yeah, when, when isn't that iPad time? Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, we've been, we've been on that journey now for, as I said, since, um, since last year, October. And we're at, the, we're at the point now where we're, you know, we're in a position, not that we want to publish results, because mm-hmm. um, we don't, we don't want to publish results. What we want to do is educate people on where kids are by demographic. Mm-hmm. So we've got age range. We've got potentially... Um, boys versus girls we've got uh, interestingly enough we've got countries so Mm -hmm. we can give you some analysis on you know how the US fare versus potentially the Middle East which is very interesting when you start to to look at the parallels between two geographies which have very similar uh, properties in terms of you know rising obesity trends and also the onset of uh, type 2 as well Mm. the 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 similarities between the Middle East and and underserved communities in the United States are staggering he's been telling us how uh, we're going they're going into schools we there you you're going into schools and universities and you're helping uh, the kids there uh, between particularly the ages of 7 and 13 to get a more active uh, lifestyle you've been working with around uh, a thousand young people in actually multiple countries as well you've been in the u.s you've done some stuff in india as well doing stuff here in the uae and just starting to see some potential sort of trends coming through and some data as to well you tell us what are you spotting so the kind of the context to what we've been doing over the last uh, sort of 12 months is really been trying to understand you know where kids are today Mm. Um, you know what are their activity levels um, there is now interesting enough we've done quite a bit of research and, and maybe Gustav can, can help us on this as well there, is there a formal benchmark for how active a child should be we, we've not been able to really determine one as, as yet we've got the World Health Organization for adults they give you a number of steps per day and as everybody tells me you know 10,000 steps a day I could do going back and to, to the loo and so <laughs> but you know what is it in terms of actual activity? What does that mean? So we've got some we've got some comprehensive benchmarks for adults, but we haven't got it for kids. So from different areas where we've where we've consulted different levels of expertise, we've kind of come up with a benchmark that said you know on average, a kid should be you know 1.6 times more active than an adult. Okay. So we've we've kind of set that as a threshold and as a benchmark. Um, we think it's actually conservative. We believe it should be more. So if you're if you're doing ten thousand steps a day, your you know your kids should be doing seventeen thousand steps mm-hmm. a day. Although again, we, we, as you'll see later, we don't base this on steps. So uh, what we've done is we've created an index with the universities. Um, primarily, this has been led by the U.S. And what they've been able to do is to say, okay, we've got a we've got a grand zero uh, for children. And what we want to do is to see what is there, what are they like outside the program and what are they like inside the program. Mm. And those studies have been anywhere from six to eight weeks in length. Um, I think it's important. You know, a lot of people come to say, why are you not doing this for longer? 
Um, you know, trying to keep kids in a program engaged for anything longer than four weeks is a challenge. Mm. So you've got to make it innovative. You've got to make it visual. You've got to make it appealing. There's a number of things that we do with the universities as a company to make that experience quite enriching. So the, the, the kind of the, the status that we came up with um, at the end of the program was a categorization of children that, that brackets the, the average daily step count and the, 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 the key indicator that we're interested in, which is called MVPA, which is the moderate to vigorous physical activity. Mm-hmm. So as an adult, I mean, if you go online and you, do, you, you, know, you pull up lots of doctors, they'll recommend you know, 30 minutes of activity, moderate to vigorous physical activity a day is healthy for you, and it can reduce the onset of many you know, different types of chronic diseases. Um, for kids, we wanted to set that at 45 minutes. Mm-hmm. So if you think about that, two breaks in school a day, um, and some home time, yeah, that should be achievable. Um, what we actually saw when we, when we hit the normalization period through the, through the program is uh, we saw an average, so we saw a peak in the program for children, um, and, uh, and we've got it by, by different geographies here. So we've got some stats from the U.S., we've got some stats from, um, uh, from the UAE, and we've got some stats from the non, non-UAE as well. Um, so we saw... For example, the daily lowest per child in, mm. in the United States was two minutes a day. So v- of moderate, moderate to vigorous, vigorous. physical activity. Okay. So the way we've got ways in terms of how the technology calculates that's that. That's the lowest. But that's the lowest. So that, um, but we've also seen the high points were about 23 to 25 minutes. So you saw people you know, within classrooms, within, mm. within a certain age band, reaching 25 to 30 minutes of but, MVPA a day. But under half of what you were saying you would like to see them do, which was 45. Yeah, it's, so it's, it's under half. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think what we'd like to see is obviously the, the needle moving more towards the 45. Mm-hmm. Now, the interesting thing is, is where, so proportionally, where, do these, where are the kids sitting right now? So how many are sitting at the higher end and, and how many are sitting at the lower end? Um, and we've had uh, we've had several discussions actually, not only with principals but also with with other stakeholders in the education community as well. And I said if I if I was to put up a list of exam results, which were maths, English, science, and you you had um, a lot of your students had got A's, um, and then a lot had got B's, and then you had a thin slither of people, you know, at the sort of the C's and D's. It it wouldn't be a train smash. Mm-hmm. Um, now, if we were to reverse that. And we were, to, we were to talk about health, how would you feel about it? Mm. And the answer is, well, we'd have a problem with that. So if I had, you know, 30% of my maths class, which were failing, um, <clears throat> there would be a very strong reaction mm. from the schools to invoke a response and an action plan to make sure that those kids are, uh, you know, those kids get to a certain grade. Mm. So... What do you so, think of those statistics, Gustavo? I mean, two, two minutes moderate to vigorous and up to around 23 at the higher end. It is really alarming. Mm. I mean, we all know, but uh, having this uh, data in hand is, uh, really helps, especially if you go and try to implement any uh, legislation or any best practices in the school. So mm. uh, that's definitely where, you know, this uh, indicators, they, they come to play. Um, the main thing is like uh, as a nutritionist, you know, uh, look at it is um, when we talk about kids, you know, on their developmental stages, uh, they should be interacting with the world, you know, with their hands, with their feet, with their eyes, you know, like using all their senses mm. uh, to, to really interact and really learn 
uh, towards that way. So it it, it even may uh, bring us some discussions into like really is is it the 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 system that we have yeah. that you know everyone just sits around is it the best system or is it not the best system? So uh, it's really interesting. I, I would like to see more more of that. Well, uh, that's guy. What you guys are obviously working on, you're working mm. with the schools as well. So that was the, those are the stats for the United States. Yeah. How did they compare to uh, other other countries? So from um, from the Middle East perspective, uh, the, the stats were were significantly worse. So we saw the lowest threshold of about a you know at the low end we saw about a minute of moderate to vigorous mm. physical activity. I'm thinking yeah. maybe the maybe people were sleeping or something. I don't mm. know. But Who knows? It was um, yeah. So we we saw we sort of a, a, a new low. Yeah. Um, but what was interesting about the Middle East? was uh, the clustering around the low end. Mm -hmm. So it was significant. So if we, we've got scatter charts and we see, basically, we've got a very broad brush. So we'd like to see more people towards the higher end of MVPA uh, rather than the lower end. And what we're actually seeing in, um, you know, in the Middle East is, is clustering towards the midpoint and the low. And you know, what that tells us is uh, you know, we, need to, we need to think about this as, uh, as, as a problem, and we need to address that. Well, without sort of telling us which, which schools or, or institutions you are actually taking this data from in the Middle East, I mean, uh, you know, I, I dropped my, my, my uh, youngest son off at school, and you, you, you see them in the playground. They're running around for five minutes before, before the teacher calls them into the classroom. Then there's the activities, there's the football or, or netball or whatever it might be. I mean, that, that's a really shockingly low figure. I mean, even sort of running from the car to, <laughs> car to the house or the, wherever, you'd think they'd be a bit more ac uh, moderate to vigorous activity than, than the one-minute mark. Yeah, you would. And, uh, and, and it's not everybody. So you no. do have... You, we are seeing obviously kids which are naturally active. I mean, my kids, um, they're, they're the same. They're, they're very, very active. Um, but the interesting thing is what, what we're seeing in, in terms of what's driving that activity, uh, specifically in this part of the world, is we're seeing a, a, a push and a migration to what we call structured exercise rather than unstructured. Mm. So, um, you know, we've actually got, uh, we've actually got um, a great student doing some internship for us at the moment, and he will, t he will give you a very a very brief synopsis of what goes on in the schoolyard. Mm -hmm. And, you know, even he will tell you visually you can see this playing out. You can see the difference in activity between guys and girls. Yep. Um, you can see groups which are sedentary and groups which are active. So you can actually see that play out in the, in the schoolyard itself. So, yeah, we do, we do have a good proportion of kids who are very, very active. But I think it's, uh, even if it's um, 10%, but mm. it's actually a lot more than that, but let's say it was, the problem was only 10%, that 10%, um, we still need a plan to bring those guys back into you know, the type of lifestyle choices uh, through education mm. and also through some ways of, you know, innovative ways to incentivize activity. Um, and it's not always about running. It's not always about walking. Um, there's other great ways that we're, uh, we're looking at trying to influence that. But it's still worth focusing on, you know, that segment to get them to a point where, you know, the, you know, the, the lifestyle issues that, that have been the, the, the subject of the previous hour of the program are, mm. are not presented mm. when they're in their mid-20s or, or their early 30s. I'm just, wondering, I'm just wondering, you know, what could have impacted on that statistic? I'm wondering if factors like, like the heat, for example, could, you know, okay, so they'll have the same amount of, uh, of um, uh, playtime as, as kids in the States, for example, but 
they might be less active because it's hotter and you can't be running around so much. Do you think there are some factors like that which would have had an impact on these results? Definitely there are some environmental factors mm. uh, for sure. I mean, the, the fact that, you know, I used to um, I used to walk to school, I used to bike to school. So there's there's 30 minutes of activity, which is which doesn't exist in the Middle East yeah. anyway. So you don't typically kids are uh, driven to school. Uh, they're picked up. So there's a there's a chunk of the day that we call we want to reclaim that 30 minutes of the day that we'd like to sort of in some way try to get that back on the school curriculum that it's not an after school activity. Um, you know, you're, if you're losing that 30 minutes a day, how do we how do we bake that back in in some way, shape, or form mm. into the school environment? And it you know it needs to start small. It doesn't need to be you know running there. Run, it, everything doesn't need to be about you know heavy exercise. What we want to do is start gently. But yeah, there are some environmental factors that come into play. Um, although bearing in mind the data we've been collecting has been over a, pre- a, a predominantly cooler part of the year, yeah. so we're not doing it now in the summer. Sure. Uh, we are, and we are looking at stats as well, which are broader than the Middle East. But yeah, so the, the fact that there are environmental concerns—not concerns, but there are environmental issues here that can mm. prevent exercise—means we should be actually looking at very creative ways to sort this out. And you gave us the one-minute stat, but you didn't give us the upper end stat. Uh, so upper end stats for the um, We've seen. So I've got daily highest. Um, we're looking at. I mean, they're pretty grim, to be honest. Let's uh, have it. We, we've not we've not crossed twenty minutes yet. Okay. So we need well to, below we need twenty to, minutes. It's well not well below, but um, we're we're on the way to twenty minutes of of MVPA, and I think if you you I'm looking at that in the school context. Now I'm sure if you looked at uh, the segment of the school which really focuses on the ASAs, and you've got people doing soccer, you've got people doing rugby, we will see uh, we will see a return mm. on on um, on that trend, but. Again, it's not a, not every school child is involved in those activities. Yeah. So what we're trying to do is figure out how do we raise the bar across the board. Mm. So when we look at scatter charts and we look at the data, um, we we are capturing the the after school activities. We are capturing kids who are very athletic and active, and you know it's not the majority. Mm. So we're still looking at a lot of people which sit in the in the mid to low end of activity. And you know the interesting thing is we're seeing all sorts of unusual ways um, which I like to, to tackle the problem there's a school in the UK um, up in Scotland I think it was on the news the BBC news about a, about two three weeks ago mm-hmm. where 15 minutes they all of the kids go out onto the onto the playground or the the field and they do this mile a day mm-hmm. every day every school kid has to walk or run that mile and they come back into the classroom. So there's, there's some very simple things that you can do. So, you know, and that makes sure that everybody is getting into, you know, some form of regime to, to start improve their activity levels. We're just saying in the break, Martin, you, the, the way you judge um, vigorous activity would be, would be exactly how. How many steps do we have to have for that? So we're, we're looking to the range of about 130 steps a minute. So it's, uh, it's going to be very, very brisk walking. Mm. Uh, potentially uh, a slow run, uh, but it's obviously sustained over a minute's period. Mm. So that's the duration that when you cross that threshold and uh, you get a tick in the box for that, then obviously that's uh, that's the indicator that we use. So um, as we were saying, you can you know the kids can run to the toilet and back, and they can have these short bursts, mm. but it won't it won't register as a 
you know, what we call an active minute. In terms of, just thinking, Gustavo, in terms of the key element here being that active minute, if you if you are running around, um, you know, several, you know, know, 10, 15, 20 minutes a day, whatever it might be, but it's 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 built up of sort of 10 second bursts here. 30 second burst here you're not going over that minute mark are you still going to have a positive impact on your health and well-being as a child or does it have to be sustained to make a real difference so definitely if you're moving around throughout the day you're uh, motivating your metabolism Mm -hmm. to keep up you know so uh, that's definitely uh, much better than you know if you just uh, sit for the whole day and then for you know 10 15 minutes 30 minutes you're doing that activity and then you're just sitting Mm -hmm. you know that whole time you're sitting if you're sitting for long periods of time like you know the kids may do uh, home watching tv or we'll do it radio presenters radio presenters uh, or you know everyone that is now listening and uh, sitting in the office mm. um, you know when you're sitting for you know a long period of time you can actually you know lose pretty much most of the benefits that you gain from from that regular activity mm. so uh, it's very important indeed that you move around throughout the day um I mean, uh, probably I would check about what are the differences in their activity trackers and so on. But Mm -hmm. what you see from, you know, many activity trackers nowadays, and and these are devices that, you know, an uh, increasing number of people are using now, you know, to to track their steps and track their fitness. If if you're sitting for, you know, over an hour, things will start beeping and that's the time you have to move. So uh, now we have things to tell us to do that, but it actually should be something that 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 we keep in mind. If I had something beeping at me telling me to move, that would go straight in the bin or i'd have to press <laughs> i'd have to press the mute button i c- just couldn't bear being nagged like that uh, martin so you're in the schools mm-hmm. um you're you're working with the, with the with the um with the young people there and you're obviously tracking so we'll talk about the tech of how you're actually doing that in a second but what are some of the things that you're you're doing uh, here in the uae as well you've got after school programs so the, the, there's two ways that we can you know we can as we say put the plumbing into into the school environment there's uh, the easiest way is to incorporate it within after-school programs. Mm-hmm. So that's where we try to introduce the technology um, via sort of the athletics departments um, and put that into very specific programs. And they use that then to monitor and also develop the uh, the kids through specific programs, which the, the school themselves feels appropriate for the level of activity of children. Mm. Um, we've had some very, very brave schools as well that are, that are really looking towards this as uh, just being part of the curriculum. So uh, initially that was, uh, that was quite, uh, that was received, not with hostility, but mm. um, again, it was the... W- why would we why would we try to create space in the curriculum for this and mm. I, and i've had a number of conversations with schools around it because it is hard so you know we understand the pressure on teachers um and trying to create something extra within the curriculum is always going to be a challenge but we've had some very 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 brave principals out there that have come and they've recognized that this is an issue mm. And they've said, look, you know, what we'd like to do is really embrace this. Um, we're not interested in, in an after-school activity where it's optional. Uh, what we'd like to do is have every kid within, you know, possibly a certain year group that it becomes almost part of, I mean, I don't know, I mean, like reproductive education. Yeah. You know, every, kid's within, every kid within a certain age band will go through that curriculum. Mm. So could we do the same for health? Could we start educating children um, at an age where they're impressionable about what are the great choices and what are the outcomes that potentially await them 
and then also how we can how we can inspire them with you know simple activities giving them access to technology showing their classmates and uh, their classes and even other schools on leaderboards that we we design for them and um, and we display around the the campus is that a way that um, kids can start to re-engage and place an emphasis on exercise rather than the technology some people will say though uh, you know that's what gym's there for that's what the PE class is there for and and they and they do that what three t- three probably gym classes a week plus the you know whatever if they're on a school team or there's a swimming competition or something like that there will be p- doubters saying that's what that's for why don't we do it there why do we have to knock something else out of the way to put uh, to put this into the curriculum well you know we had a very interesting conversation about six months ago with a uh, this was a, a school in Qatar mm. And um, they were actually reducing PE on the agenda, really? so it seemed to be the first thing—the first thing to go, uh, the first thing to uh, to fall by the wayside was the the PE the mm. PE slot. Um, and I think as well, also, and, I, and I'm sure there's there's a number of athletics directors out there that would agree as well. You know, there's uh, the way in which PE is being approached. It's being approached as being very generalist. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we've got, I've come across a number of athlet- athletics directors in schools who've got a very, you know, they want to excel in, in the sport. Um, you know, they want, they want a great rugby team. They want a great soccer team. They want to, and they're really looking to recruit and be aspirational in those areas. But it's, it's tough when PE is just viewed as PE. Mm. You know, we get, uh, we've had access to, how the university systems and the school systems work in the United States and, and how they work outside of the U.S. And there are problems with that. Um, you know, we've come across pros and cons, but I, but I, you know, I really like the way in which they, you know, they, there is a very strong emphasis on the physical activity because they recognize, you know, sport is something which is placed, it's, a, it, it's placed a premium. But we don't want, say, seven-year-olds doing things like CrossFit, for example. No, you don't. <laughs> instead no. of, you know, playing football. Yeah. So, I mean, what we need to do is um, is focus on how we can get seven-year-olds more involved in unstructured activity mm-hmm. rather than, you know, and I and we struggle with this challenge at home as well, myself and my wife. We sit there, how can we get the kids off the iPads? Because um, it starts at such an early age. And, mm-hmm. and you can go into any restaurant now and you can see toddlers on these things. So Oh, yeah. Got, you we, can't take a toddler to a restaurant without giving them an iPad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You've got to do it. So where are we going with this? I mean, what, are we, what can we do mm. to start maybe, I'm not saying we try to go old school. Um, I think there would be a revolt in our, ho- in our household if we did that. Mm. But can we start encouraging kids with new and innovative ways, which maybe embrace the technology, but start to engage them more towards activity and understanding you know, the sense of the outcome, that engagement in activity and being more mobile and, you know, tweaking your week so it's a little bit harder, so you incorporate more exercise rather than less exercise in it. Um, how can we take the lead as parents? Mm. And, um, you know, what, what, sort of, what sort of mindset can we foster within children to, uh, you know, to start taking that journey? And do you see that as an opportunity, Gustavo, tech, uh, in order to help kids and learn about their fitness, learn about nutrition as well? Yeah, no, definitely. As I said, you know, with this activity trackers, I think it's a great tool. But for me, the main thing is um, to look, let's say, we, we want them to be more active. Uh, we want, as we've been saying for the whole show, we need to set the example. Uh, if we want them out of the, the iPad, out of that uh, gadget, mm. you know, you have to engage them. Uh, 
as a parent, you have to, you need eye contact, you need interaction, you need conversation, you need all those things which are uh, key for, you know, family life. You want, you need to introduce that back together in the mm. household. Uh, many times you would find, you know, that everyone is sitting and they're looking at their own screen. Yeah. So it, as if, you know, they would, co they could be in completely different rooms that wouldn't make a difference. So, you know, uh, even over, you know, meal time, you know, if, if you're sitting together for a meal, um, it's very important, you know, avoid any distractions, avoid the TV, avoid the iPad, avoid the, you know, iPhone, leave that to the side, pay attention to the meal, create again this kind of uh, social interaction, uh, giving uh, value, you know, to that moment, you know, that you're cherishing on that, you know, uh, f good family feeling, um, the nice food you put on the table that you work so hard to, mm. <laughs> to put it there, you know, like bring, bring these values back, you know, um, and, and create these moments in which you're leaving these gadgets aside a little bit. I guess that's, a th uh, you know, I, 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 that resonates with me. I mean, if the, if the, if the, if the, the meal time isn't special, there's nothing special about it, then there's no emphasis to kind of uh, prepare something that is a real a wholesome sort of family meal it's it just you know well every, nobody's going to talk to each other anyway you know dad's going to sit over there on the sofa and somebody's going to sit over there texting their friends so let's just give them let's just it's just food we're just eating we're just you know getting the energy that we need for the for the rest of the day so yeah I, I got, that completely resonates with me thanks to uh say don't just send the word iftar i said to you you've got to send a point or a question don't just send the word iftar that will not enter you into the competition you've got to make a point you've got to make a contribution to this program and then you you get into the draw for the iftar at the intercontinental dubai marina uh, sonia text in says excellent point i don't know who's uh, engage with your children directly so uh, you value your shared time it takes effort and can be tiring uh, but brain research has showed that human interaction is more effective for language development in kids as compared to tech uh, so that's uh, sonia saying obviously the, the, the interaction element is going to help you uh, in more ways than and just uh, fitness as well but let's talk about tech for a moment because uh, you guys have been developing and developed your own tech which is out there right now and you're using it to help uh, young people to get more fit in schools yeah sure i mean we uh, as, as a company we you know we develop a, a range of um, mobile and, and wearable technology and it it's uh, it's not just about the activity but the activity is is, is the simplest so we we started to develop our own tech because we thought the you know that the price points of uh, of wearable tech uh, have been quite considerable and we wanted to change the access point mm. in terms of pricing on that and what that allowed us to do is to come up with you know very simple and effective tools and programs that we can take to schools because mm -hmm. schools is a is a very challenging business model for us because it's not the it's not where we make money as a company we um you know we we try to to focus on corporates and and obviously the the medical yeah. community as well but from a, a tech perspective, we, we came up with a, a small device called the MIMO. It's, a, it's the size of about a Durham coin. Mm -hmm. um, we were very much in favor of having this thing clipped on. So yep. it clips onto your core. Um, but having spoken to many, many athletics directors and uh, different schools, so, you know, the rule of common sense always remains. So we come at this with a business mindset, and then you get um, a very sharp principle just says, oh, my kids will lose that. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> yeah, and what happens if somebody eats one? And, you know, so all of yeah. those wonderful things that we took, we took away, and we, you know, we, we enhanced the, the offering. So we have, um, yeah, we have clip-based versions which sit on your core and your on your waist and mm -hmm. the reason why we're 
we 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 like that version is because when your core moves then you capture true data yeah um for something which sits on your wrist you get a lot of wrist movement you get a lot of noise um which you can take out through software Mm-hmm. So if your if your kids are sitting in class throwing their hands in the air consistently, that tracks obviously activity. So we're we're not big fans of that. But there again, we do recognise that it's the trend that we're interested in. Mm-hmm. So we're in, we're interested in activity trends, not so much the absolute bulletproof accuracy of this thing for children. Um, so we've got wrist versions as well that the kids can wear. Something is some, there's some other products out there that everybody's aware of. I, I used to wear one, and, and there'd be another app that I had to download which would remove the effect of driving. Because uh, obviously mm-hmm. I'm just sat in my car, I'm driving, I'm not moving. But yeah. you know, you look at the you look at your tracking device afterwards, and it says that you've just run 10k or something. You know, I, I don't know why. So th- so there's the software that you can use to get rid of that and and make it more accurate. Yeah, I mean, you know, software is uh, software is great because you can you can deploy that and uh, you know the functionality that we can drive through software um, and in and around these activity tracking devices is is pretty significant and substantial but Mm. from a school's perspective one of the things we wanted to do in terms of bringing the technology into schools is to make it smartphone independent Mm -hmm. so I think if you look at probably most of the activity trackers out there they that people use certainly the ad in within the adult community you need your mobile phone Hmm. So how do you how do you sync data from your activity tracker without a mobile phone? It's a it it can be a challenge. Mm-hmm. And then how do you sync, let's say, twenty five kids in a class through one particular synchronization point? How does that happen? Yeah. So up until we developed this uh, this product and this offering for schools, it didn't exist. Mm. So we developed a way that we can, yes, you can use this little uh, MIMO device to sync through your phone. It's called the Bluetooth version. And then we came up with another radio frequency that we've built into the device that allows a small antenna to be placed in a classroom. Um, it runs off the school Wi-Fi, so you don't need to do anything. And uh, the kids come into the class, and all they need to do is basically they need to shake their MIMO within range of the antenna. Yeah. And uh, that transfers the data. Okay. So that's how we capture it. So we can do it before break. We can do it after break. So what we uh, schools have got different ways of doing it. Some some classroom teachers like to have a you know small ceremony that each team comes up because typically <laughs> we like to do it in teams, and they'll flash the data, and then uh, the leaderboard will change. And so you get the, the, a little bit of the anticipation in the classroom as they go through that process. Um, were all the parents on board with this as well? Because I can see that, you know, you're just getting the school on board is one thing. But, you know, there might be, I, I was contacted the other day by, by a journalist and they were, they were asking about this issue of um, fit devices and the data and then who has access to that data and who can see how many steps you're doing and so forth. And in my mind, I think, well, it's not such a big deal, you know, if somebody sees how many steps. But when you're talking about children, it's always a little bit more sensitive, isn't it? Yeah, so there's, um, there's quite a stringent um, process that we go through with the school on. Mm. So the schools will go out and contact parents. Um, the school, obviously, with us can educate the parents on the need for this and, and why they feel uh, this is something that they feel will be of value, not only to the children, but also to the school. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, that's a, that's a process that we go through. Um, the data is, is secure and it, and it is private. Um, it's as it is accessible by parents um, you know and we we keep the restriction or there's a very restricted access protocol 
around who sees who sees that data and from from our perspective it's pretty much de-identified so we don't uh, we don't look at individual names what we are looking at is the demographics so as i said you know we we can see geographies um we can see profiles in terms of boys girls um, possible age range so you know and everything else at a detail level mm. is down to the parents but what we what we do like to do is come up with very custom reports or customized leaderboards which we feel uh, will help people make decisions around the data because mm. otherwise data without any meaningful yeah. application it's just data it's just yeah. information so what do you do with it so how do we sit down and uh, how do we educate parents um, how do we bring them to the table? It's a discussion that we need to have, with, whether it's with the PTAs or several other parental authorities out there. In fact, they're, they're the key stakeholder in everything that we do because mm. we want parents to understand the importance of the initiative. And once the parents get on board, um, that, that provides ammunition for the principals, and the principals then can also work with us and, and the parental groups to actually come up with the right solution for the school. Martin, it's, it's been great having you on. We've, we're running out of time, unfortunately. Sure. We, we do have to give way to the next uh, show. Uh, Nikki just quickly says, is your program only available to schools and corporates, or could it also work for individuals too? Uh, and also makes a point here, Nikki says, maybe parents should compete with their kids to see who's been the most active throughout the day. What do you think of that idea? Yeah, it's actually one of the biggest uh, one of the biggest pull-throughs for us uh, that we always get when we deploy the MIMOs, whether it's in a corporate environment or in the school environment. The first thing is the the the, the people either at home, uh, significant others, or the children, uh, siblings. They mm. always want to get in on the act, which is great. I mean, that's what we want. Um, you know, so it's uh, as as I said, we don't we're not really a, a business to consumer company. So you know, we don't st- tend to sell a lot of our product and our technology to to the end user. We like to try to get this in the hands of mass populations, mm. either within a corporate environment or a school environment, because then there's some control around the outcome of what you're trying to achieve. Typically, people who go into things on their own, um, we see we see an 85% dropout rate. So yeah. we're very keen to you know keep people within the confines of a community. Thanks so much for uh, joining us Martin uh, lots of people texting in saying look it just sounds uh, fantastic how can we uh, how can they and us find out more about what you're doing so to so drop us a mail at uh, info mm-hmm. at tupelolife.com that's, uh, although it's an info email uh, that is checked regularly, mm-hmm. and uh, that's something that we can we can pick up on, and uh, we can you know service any queries through that route. And that's spelled T U P E L O Life dot com. Yeah, okay. Tupelolife dot com.